Amen. Amen. So last week, for those that were not here, don't worry, last week, uh, it, it's not like you have to have listened to last week. I think it's definitely helpful, but it's not a must. You will be able to understand me tonight, if you, especially you guys uh, that were not here with us last week. So last week, we, you can put that slide up for me, Kim, thanks. So last week, we looked at the book of Ezra, and tonight we're going to look at we're going to start at the book of Nehemiah. And I want to say, we are not doing a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of these two books. You can do that in your own time, because that would take us, I think, the whole year at least in sermons. And I'm not going to preach this whole year on Ezra and Nehemiah. So, um, but it's a be- I'm, I'm hoping that actually this mini-series that we're doing actually just... Number one, stirs a hunger in your heart for more of God and actually a, a hunger to, I, I want to actually get into the Word more. Uh, and that's certainly what it's done in my heart, Ezra and Nehemiah. So last week we, look at, we looked at Ezra and this week we are looking at Nehemiah. But I want to actually start off with a, a, a scripture. I want to start off with a scripture uh, that's not related to Nehemiah or Ezra. So let's just go there. Acts 17 verse 26. And I'll explain to you why I'm reading the scripture. And he made from one man, every that he in the first sentence, I'm reading from the ESV. So the ESV normally where it's got a he for God doesn't make it in a capital letter. So just it, it's, not, it's not, I didn't make, I didn't give Jesus a small H. So, uh, so just that so you know, that he is Jesus. He and Jesus made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. That scripture teaches me something about the sovereignty of God. That God is in control. You see, we in our currently a lot of people find ourselves in a panic in South Africa because economics and politics and everything is not going well. And other people in the world, in China, with the coronavirus, they find themselves, everyone's stressing out and freaking out. But I want to tell you that God, can you uh, put verse 26 up again? That God has determined allotted periods and the boundaries of every person's dwelling place. Somehow, whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, whether you believe in Jesus, not believe, whether you are born again or not born again, I believe Jesus, God is sovereign, and somehow in His sovereignty, God has determined a time and a period where every single person find themselves in. And I don't know about you, but that gives me a little bit of comfort. <laughs> but I'm saying that also tonight for a different reason, and I'm going to explore that. So what I'm saying is, is that if you live in Durbanville, if you live in Brackenfell or Pinehurst or Edgemead or Boston, God has in His sovereign will has made you live where you live because according to God, that is the best possible place for you to live to find God. Wow. So amen. I think that is a, that, that is a revelation deserving of an amen. In other words, where you are now is where you are supposed to be because 
This is the best possible place. Not Josh Jane, I'm not speaking about Josh Jane. I'm speaking about where you find yourself in life is determined in a way by God, regardless. And I think we make mistakes and I think we do mess it up and I don't fully understand. But in a way, you are where you should be because God has determined you to be here and because God has determined that in this place where you find yourself, this is the best possible way where you're going to find Him. Amen? I believe that. So I'm going to come back to this in just a short while and tell you why. Actually, right at the end of the sermon, I'm going to draw, try and draw a full circle. Uh, so last week we were speaking about Ezra and two things we learned about Ezra that, you, that you'll see as you read in the book of Ezra. Ezra was, uh, the book of Ezra is concerned about the restoration of the altar. And we spoke about the altar as being your relationship with God. And then secondly, the book of Ezra speaks about the restoration or the rebuilding of the temple of God. That's where the people of God meet with God. And I said last week that we in the New Testament, if you are a born-again Christian, we don't go to temples anymore. The people of God are the temple of God. And last week we look at the importance and the heart that God has, that God wants every person this altar to be rebuilt. In other words, God desires every person to have a relationship with Jesus. Say amen. Secondly, I believe with all my heart, God wants every person to be, every born again person to be part of the temple of God. And I actually doubt, this is just me, I actually doubt whether you can say I'm born again, but you don't have a desire to be part of the temple of God. But I want to, when we get to the book of Nehemiah, that was Ezra. So what are we going to talk about tonight? Because that, that, like we've talked about God and we've talked about church. What, Christopher, what else is there to talk about? <laughs> and that's what I love about the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah shows us that, that what God wants to do doesn't stop with the altar. It's not just about you and God. What God wants to do is not just about you and the temple, the church. It doesn't stop. What God wants to do doesn't stop with the church. But we read in Nehemiah, and when we see the book of Nehemiah, we actually see that God has got a bigger plan and a bigger purpose. Nehemiah wasn't just happy with the rebuilding of the altar and the rebuilding of the temple. He was, uh, actually, we're going to read it now. Uh, Nehemiah 2, verse 2 to 3. And the king said to me, Nehemiah speaking about himself, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? And I tried to, when I was reading this, I tried to, how do, how do you, uh, this is nothing but sadness of heart. I thought to myself, how do I explain sadness of heart? And the, 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 the example in my life that came into my mind was, I remember when I was, uh, when I was small, uh, when I was like 10 years old, 11 years old, 12, I, I grew up in a street where every house, uh, every house, about six houses on this side of the street and six houses, every house had children my age. And every day we would play outside until my mom, um, parents would call us in. And kind of our, some of our parents had different times, 6.30, some at 7. And I remember having sickness of heart every time my mom called me in saying, now it's time to come in because we had such a great time. Anyway, that's just a random story what sickness or sadness of heart is. 
But it said, the king is asking Nehemiah, why are you sad? Why, why is it that you look so down? And then Nehemiah says, then I was very much afraid. Remember, Nehemiah is a Jew and he's serving under the Babylon king. So when the king saw his sadness and Nehemiah had to be honest about his sadness, he was very much afraid. And I said to the king, verse 3, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And tonight's preach is a heart for the city. Ezra taught us about the restoration and the rebuilding of the altar and the temple. But Nehemiah says, the work is not finished. There's a city to rebuild. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight as a people having a heart for our city. And I want to ask you at the outset, do you, do you have a heart for your, the people in your street to be saved or if you live in an apartment complex, do you, have you, when was the last time that you trusted God for the salvation of the, your neighbors and those sharing, uh, sharing, living in the close proximity to where you live? When was the last time that you started dreaming about trusting God for salvation to come to Durbanville, to Brockenfeld, to Pinus, to the places where we live and where we find ourselves? Because in Josh Jane, we, we talk a lot, a lot about the importance of relationship with God. We talk about, a lot about Josh Jane. We want to uh, build church, New Testament Christianity. But I want to say that New Testament Christianity is incomplete if we don't have a heart for the people. You see, God is, it's not just about us. It's not just about us. Believe it or not, God wants this church to grow. To such an extent that we will have to plant another church out of this church again. Do you believe it? God wants this church to grow to the point where we have to multiply. Where there's no room. And it's difficult kind of in a way to, to think about it now. Because we are still comfortably fitting into this venue. But let me remind you. This congregation was, was birthed in suit. And then it came to a point where suit became too small, the coffee shop in Durbanville. And now we've moved in here. First we had the venue into that corner. And, and kind of as we, we have been growing, but let me tell you, God's heart for this church is for more people to get saved. And as more, the more people that needs to get saved are not necessarily here tonight. And so I'm trusting for something of a stirring in our hearts for people actually we don't, for people we know and people we don't know. The people in our neighborhood that we do know who don't love Jesus yet. But also those people that we don't know. Trusting for them. And I'm going to you know, look at the book of Nehemiah as a starting place for this. But I want to say at the offset of, of the, I remember when I got saved. I got saved when I was 16 years old. That's now uh, almost 14 years ago. Giving you my age, there you go. Uh, still a young man. Um, getting, I was in high school in a in a courses, in a hostel. That's where I lived. Uh, not lived, but that's where I found myself. I was in a hostel. I got saved there, and I remember, I remember 
in my journey with God, getting saved in the hostel, when you're in a course, you, you are filled with a lot of people that call themselves Christians, but it's, it is, it's very evident that they're not. <laughs> because in, a, in, in the boy's side of a hostel, strange things happen and a lot of swearing. I'm not going to go into detail, but it's very, clear, it's very clear that not everyone is really, really Christian. And I remember one of the things God did is he, he, I, just, I just started having a passion in my heart to see more people getting saved. And I do believe that's actually one of the signs and the fruits or, of being saved is having a desire for more people to get saved. I know that is very much at the heart of Jesus for more people to get saved. But this has been the tension in my life. I'm going to be honest with you that I have struggled with the most. You see, I love God. I love the church. But this third leg of loving the city, loving people that I don't know, uh, is, has been difficult for me. I don't know about you. I'm just being honest about my journey. It's been a struggle for me, especially since I've been in ministry now for quite a long time. So in a way, I've not been, I've not been around, if I can use the word, I don't mean, if I can use the word secular, I've not been in a secular environment uh, uh, for most of the last couple of years of my life. It's just every once in a very long while that the atmosphere in our house gets secular, but that's just once in a very, uh, in a blue moon, but we'll not uh, expand into that. So for those, I hope you know what I'm talking about, married couples. (laughs) My, my wife is not here. I'm fine. <laughs> so, so this has been a, a because as a pastor, my my responsibility before God is to love you and to care for you as best as I know how, and that is something I try to do the very best. But my desire is that God would use me beyond you in some ways. That God would use me to touch people's lives that on that. I don't want to go, just because I'm a pastor, I'm not called to reach people that are not in, you know what I'm saying? So this has been the tension and a big challenge for me and a big struggle for me. And I think one of the things that we that we as a church can be guilty of is that we can get, we, we get so comfortable in this that we that we forget about that God actually wants to rebuild a city. That God actually... God doesn't stop the work at the church. The church actually exists for something bigger. And that's for more people to get to know the name of Jesus. So two things we see in Nehemiah that are in that scripture that we just read. Number one, Nehemiah recognizes that the work is not finished. Even though the altar is rebuilt, the temple is rebuilt, Nehemiah recognized more needs to be done. I want to say to us, we can be the best authentic New Testament church in the whole wide world. The work is not done. The work doesn't stop when the church is perfect. The work stops when the world is saved. And I know not everyone, because the Bible says many will end up in hell. But the work only stops once everyone has been presented with the gospel. Amen? The Bible says that, not me. The second thing I wanted to notice from Nehemiah was 
even though he was in a position of favor as a Jew in Babylonian captivity, even though he was in a position of favor, he still found himself to be sad. And that communicates something important, that he placed the welfare of, of his people and of the rebuilding of the city as a higher priority than personal welfare. And that is something, to be honest, like I find difficult. That, like, in, Because in our culture, everyone has just got their, their, their head down, nose in front of you. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. I don't care about people. That's why we shout at other people as we drive in the cars. And when they drive badly, and we don't think maybe they've had a bad day. We just think, can you any see man? And I'm using that as a stupid example, but it's true. Is we are so focused on ourselves that we have stopped, that we have, in a way, we've stopped rebuilding the city that God has called us to rebuild. For us, for Nehemiah, it was Jerusalem, but for me and for you, it's Durbanville, it's Cryfontaine, it's Brackenfell, it's Edgemead, it's where you live. That's a city that needs rebuilding. Do you see it? Do you see it? What Ezra does show us that the rebuilding of a city starts with the altar. You can't rebuild a city without God. You also can't rebuild a city without church. So this is important. I'm not trying to kind of contradict what I said last week. This is important. What we have here tonight is very, very important. If this is not in its place, we can never rebuild the city. But once this is in place, then actually in a big way, a lot of the work only starts. You see, in the book of Ezra, the people, the Jews, they, ha- they, they threw a party when the temple was finished. But it's interesting when those Jews threw a party, Nehemiah was sitting crying. Why? Because he was a man that saw that it's not just about the rebuilding of the temple. It's about the city where there's people and we've got to rebuild the city. And in our context, we, we are called to be city rebuilders, to bring Jesus into our city. And that brings me to the next point uh, about that I want to talk a little bit about. Com- uh, it's a difficult word for me to say because I'm actually Afrikaans compartmentalizing can anyone may help <laughs> huh? but I, I said it like a rookie I, I want to say it like a pro <laughs> compartmentalizing there we go you see I, I think most of us are guilty of this because it's the way I think most of us grew up in terms of religion and Christianity uh, we were taught and, and not all of it is wrong. Some of it is actually good. We were taught Sunday is a holy day. And I, I actually, in, in some way, I actually still do believe Sunday is kind of a holy day. I'm not like, anyway, different point, not for tonight. We've been taught church is like, you go to church, it's, it's about respect. And it's about, and you, and then, but that's on Sunday. And then on Monday, work and the work environment requires a certain attitude 
and a certain toughness, otherwise you don't cut it. And so what do we end up doing? And then on, obviously on Saturdays, for those that love rugby and braai, that's when we, we bring out maybe a castle light or a car, depending on who you are or what your views are. And we, we braai with our friends and we hoi a choppy and some people hoi a doppy. Uh, and in a way, we've been taught to compartmentalize our lives that religion is in this box. And Christianity, it's kind of like a, me, a men's brain. Ladies, this is just a freebie. Ons man's brains werk in bokse. Just a freebie. Me and my wife, we had one of those secular atmospheres in our relationship. Actually, before we were married. Because I, I couldn't understand. We, we went for a run. For me, run equals exercise, we take out the exercise folder. And in the middle of the run, she wanted to stop at her grandma and say hello. And I said no. Because we are currently, we've got the exercise folder open now. We have to close the exercise folder before we can open the Oma folder. Anyway. But we do that with Christianity. On Sunday, even us, newborn Christians, I'm not, I'm not talking about people out there, I'm talking about us, me and you. We've, and I think it's difficult because this is the way that we've, for many of us, that this is the way that we have been taught. Jesus, church, Sundays. Work, Mondays. And if you have to, you, at work you swear and you do this because something needs to happen and needs to be done. Okay, then Saturday, friends, bride, and we're not, we're not going to talk about Jesus and God at the bride. We're going to talk about rugby, politics, the state of the nation. And I don't know if you know this, but have a listen to yourself the next time you bride. I'm not saying that's all of you, but have a listen the next time you bride. You're actually having the same conversation you had the last time with these friends. It's just a little bit different. Same pasta, different sauce, okay? Um, my point I'm trying to make is that we, we are very good at compartmentalizing our life into little sections. And we don't like those sections crossing. We don't like it. People get angry when the work section crosses over into the me time section. We get angry when... You, you know what I'm saying. Okay, I'm not going to explain that further. Otherwise... That's where I lose time. The message of Nehemiah is that this dividing up of our lives is wrong. And I actually, I actually put a reminder, but I forgot because I took a nap this afternoon. Can you believe it? Uh, I took a nap because our Isla Rose, our daughter, just uh, just another freebie. She she sleeps through the night. Praise God. But she has. She has decided now because she sleeps through the night, the, the fitting time to wake up in the morning is quarter to five. So, so that's a little bit early. So I took a nap uh, this afternoon and I, I made a reminder, I forgot. But if, for a lot of people, if you ask them Christianity and what is priority in your life, and they will they'll say, okay, this is my priorities, God, family, church, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, just 
the point is they give you a list. And someone once taught me that having a list is actually wrong. Because what ends up happening is God is only at the top. And then you neglect God in the next thing. And you neglect God in the next thing, in the next thing. So I think if you've got a list, I'm going to give you something better. If you've got a list, great, but I'm giving you something better. Christianity is more like a wheel with It's got a little central hub. And it's got spokes coming out of the hub. So in that hub, if, you, if you're taking notes, quickly draw, draw a wheel on your page. If you're taking notes. This is for free. All you do, or you can in the middle somehow say God. God, if you're a Christian, if you are born again, God is the center of your life. And then everything else is like a spoke. It comes out of God. Family, church, social, friends, work, hobbies, cycling, running, painting, whatever it is that you like doing. And I believe it's key that we, that we break through this somehow, that we, Sunday is not God's day. Yes, it is, and the Bible speaks of the Sabbath, but every day is God's day. Amen. Thank you, Leonie. So, one of the messages of Nehemiah is that this breaking up of our life into sections or priorities and God is actually wrong because God needs to be actually the center of every aspect of your life. If God is not the center of your marriage or your singleness, you have a problem. If God is not the center of your finances, you are not worshiping God like you were created to. If God is not the center of your church going, you're not worshiping God like you were supposed to. If God is not the center of your workplace, that doesn't mean your boss needs to be a Christian. If God is not central in, for you in your heart, in your workplace, you are not worshiping God like you are meant to. So that's Nehemiah. So, Let's, let's progress. So the next thing that we, that we happen is, so Nehemiah starts to rebuild the city. He comes to Jerusalem and he sees the, the temple has now been rebuilt. The altar is in its place, but he looks at the walls. It's, it's in ruins. The gates are destroyed. Everything, basically the temple is again an open target for, the temple is an open target for any enemy that wants to come. And, and you can go read in, in the Old Testament. When the enemies came, the, the one thing they, that they knew they had to do to destroy God's people was they had to destroy the temple. So if you destroy the church, you destroy the city. But we have an opportunity we, we, God is fighting for His church. God is building His church. We don't have to stress about His church. We, we need to be vigilant and not allow the devil and the enemy and his schemes to infiltrate the church. That we spoke about last week. But now it's about rebuilding the city. It's about coming from a defensive mindset to an offensive mindset. It's about the church is not just, we are not called to hold ground. 
This congregation, for example, is not called to be 100 for the... I, I believe this, that we are not called to be 100 people for the rest of eternity till Jesus comes back. I don't know, or till I die. Like I said, I believe God wants this church to grow. So, uh, Nehemiah 4 verse 1, let's read that. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. Last week, we read about when the temple was being rebuilt, there was opposition. Now, this week, we read about the walls being rebuilt, and again, there is opposition. Let me tell you, when you do something right for God, there's opposition. If you don't have opposition in your life, I suggest you start doing something for God. And I don't, I don't mean that in an in a ugly way. I just mean like, to, when you do something for God, the enemy starts to oppose you. So opposition is not a bad thing, it's actually a good thing. And I speak of opposition, not opposition is different from when you sin and make mistakes and bad things happen. There's a big difference. Okay. So opposition is actually that we are doing something right. So, the fir- so that's the first thing that we see is opposition. But the second thing that we see is in Nehemiah 5 verse 1. It not only was the external opposition against the building, the rebuilding of the city, suddenly there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. When, when God is doing something, the enemy comes in the form of internal, in-house disunity. Whenever God is on the move, the one way that the enemy tries to stop God from moving is he brings disunity into the church. You and I, we have to be vigilant, we have to be aware, and we've got to keep the unity. Because if uh, Psalm 133 says, Unity, God commands a blessing. Disunity, God withdraws His blessing. So as a church, I believe God is doing something in our midst, God is, God is doing something, and we've got to watch out for internal disunity that's going to destroy and take away the blessing of God on what God wants to do. So you've got to make sure, when we talk about unity and disunity, we are talking about relationships. Relationships between saints and leaders. You and your comm leader. We are talking about relationship between fellow brothers and sisters. We are talking about relationships between the elders and the deacons, between the deacons and the community. We are talking about people relationships. That's where the enemy wants to come in and destroy the unity. You've got to fight for the unity. If you don't fight for the unity, you become a foothold that eventually becomes a stronghold and eventually God stops working in a church. Remember the nation of Israel Thousands and thousands of people, God withholds his blessing. Why? Because one man was hiding a little thing that he, that he took that he wasn't supposed to, to take. He hides underneath his tent. And what does God do? He withdraws his blessing. If you are sitting here tonight and you think you cannot withhold, the, you cannot withhold, the, you are wrong. You, one person, and it, it doesn't matter whether you're an elder, a deacon, or a saint, don't underestimate who you are in God. 
you can be the reason why God pulls his uh, blessing away from this church. Any one of us can be. Actually a big responsibility to be part of a church when you say it like that. Um, but we've got to watch the unity. God wants to bless. God wants to bless. I want to quickly read you a scripture from the Passion Translation again. Uh, as to ways in how the enemy destroys relationships. Just, I'm just going to go through them. I'm afraid that when I come to you, I may find you different than I desire. This is in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 20 or 2 Corinthians. I can't remember. And you may find me different than you would like me to be. I don't, this is, this is the things that we've got to watch out for. I don't want to find you in disunity, jealousy, angry outbursts, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and turmoil. I could have probably looked here. <laughs> Double PM, Edgemead, Josh Jane, God is doing something amongst us. Unity is vital. Unity is vital. If you need to have a conversation with a leader, if you need to have a conversation with a fellow brother or sister, have that conversation. But we need to get to a place of perfect unity and quickly so that God can do what God wants to do. Amen? And lastly, I want to say that what God wants to do is bigger than us. A man once said, not, I don't know if he was a Christian, but I'm quoting him, and I don't know who, it's, who said it. But he said, if your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough. Let me tell you what God wants to do. If it doesn't scare you, you haven't seen it yet. The man of God in the Old Testament at one point, he had his assistant with him, and his assistant said to him, his assistant said to him, how on earth are we going to do this? Because he, he looked around, and they were surrounded. And then this man said, Pray, he prayed to God. God opened his eyes and he can see in the spiritual realm, we outnumber them. But let me tell you what God wants to do in the natural looks impossible, feels impossible, and is impossible. I'm telling you, you and I together in our strength, we cannot make this church grow. We cannot fill this hall. We need Jesus. We need God. I don't know about you, but I've had the privilege of many prophetic words over my life, kind of like I gave to Pierre. Where's Pierre? Anyway, there he is. I've had many prophetic words, and I've often sat in with God, and I said, God, are you sure you've got the right person? Because what you are saying is too big for me. What you are saying is too much for me. I won't be able to do anything. And then God reminds me, it's, it's not about what you're going to do. It's what I'm about to do in and through you. Just, just you follow the process. You see, when, when, you get a, when someone tells you God is going to use you, God is going to do amazing things through you, you're going to travel to the nations of the world, millions of people are going to get saved when they just look at your shoes or whatever, there's one way to respond, and that's to go, Haba, Haba, I'm the man of God, look at me. There's another way to respond and to say, God, who am I? Who am I that you should use me? 
Who am I that you are making these declarations over my life? That this, who am I that who am, I'm nothing, God? But I believe what you say over me. I'm not going to chase it. I'm not going to run after it. But I believe that you will use me. So it's not that we go, yes, look at me. I'm the next best, the Christianity's next best thing. I'm going to sell a million books. Or it's not like, oh God, I can never do this. I'm a failure. I'm a loser. It's no, God, who am I? But I trust you. Who am I? But I trust you. Numbers 13 verse 33 says the following. There was a, and there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak who came from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. This is important if we want to be effective for God, is that we know who we are in God. Because otherwise we're going to find ourselves in the workplace, with our friends, in the people that live with us on the street. We're going to find ourselves intimidated because we're going to look at these people and we're going to look at ourselves and we're going to say, Wait a hang on a second, I'm a grasshopper, you, you've got success, you've got everything, who am I? It's important that you and I know that we are called by God, that we are chosen by God, that we are bearers of the good news that God is proclaiming into the world. The gospel alone is the power unto salvation. Not Herbalife, not, not Manatek and those, not money, not children. God is the answer to the world. And when people tell you, when people tell you about stuff, look for the moment where you can say, hang on, I've got something to tell you. I'm going to say it now because then I'm, I have to be held accountable for it. Um, so I'm doing, I told you guys I'm doing this gym thing. So I'm going to say to the guys, hopefully when I reach my target at the end, I'm going to say to them, you've now transformed my life physically by helping me shed some weight so come to our church and i bet you your life will also be transformed so uh, now i'm putting it out there that i have to do it so uh, i want to end off by one last scripture nehemiah six and yeah we're not ending this series tonight rob will be preaching next week nehemiah six verse 15 to 16 so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul uh, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem. For they, listen to this, for they perceived that the, this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. And I want to say... I believe something that God is, wants to do tonight is he wants to, he wants to give us a heart for our city again. But what, what God wants to do and, and the, the people that God wants to bring in the kingdom, they, they're out there. But God is not saying, go do it in your own strength. Go build in your own strength. I believe what God wants to do when we look back at, 
in four years, five years, in ten years, I don't know how long, and from now, we're going to look back and we're going to know and the people is going to know that this work has been accomplished with the help of our God. What we are about to embark on as a church in trusting for salvations, in Alpha, in everything in this year, in God wanting to, God, what we want to do is not possible by human hands. It has to be with the help of our God. But I want to encourage us tonight that we don't stop at Ezra. That we don't stop at just, I've got a heart for God and I've got a heart for the church. But don't ask me. Now, God actually wants to smash our little folders. And God wants to say, Jesus saying, will you bring me into everything of your life? Will you try me in everything of your life? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus.